You know, I have uh, decided that what I'd like to do this morning is continue our study from last week. Uh, if you were here last week or perhaps watching online, then you recall that we were discussing the idea of attractive Christianity. Not because the concept of the gospel or Christianity within and of itself is not attractive, because it certainly is. I mean, if you think about what Christianity really entails, it's very attractive. Here it is, an opportunity to repay, a, uh, repay love back to someone who exhibited the highest form of love toward us. You know, you think about what Jesus did on the cross. Greater love hath no man than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus, he, did, he died not only for those that would be his friends. You think about the disciples and their close relationship that they had with Jesus. But he laid down his life for his enemies even. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die per adventure. For a good man, some would even dare to die. But contrast that. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. It doesn't get any lower than that, folks. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you think about that love that he had for us, and we are working to repay, not in a sense of earning anything, but just working daily activity. We are working to repay that love back to God just by the way that we live, being good and faithful servants. You remember how that Jesus said that one of these days we're going to appear before the Lord. And as we appear before the Lord, we are wanting to hear those words from Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. But you'll notice he says, good and faithful servant. And so we give that love back to God by showing through our good, faithful service that we do, in fact, love him. And so we're talking not about making Christianity attractive again, but we're talking about making ourselves as Christians more attractive so that people will look at us as Christians and say, you know, I identify something different there in that person. I identify something better in that person. And as a result, I want to be more like them. And in becoming more like them, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? He said, be imitators or be followers of me, even as I also am a follower of Christ. And so Paul said, look at me. Don't look at me in the sense that I'm better than everybody else. That's not what he's saying. But look at me because I'm following Jesus. Now, I'm sure he would hasten to to say that if I'm not following Jesus, then you notice that too, and you don't follow me if I'm not following Jesus. But as I follow Jesus, you follow me. Be followers of me, even as I also am a follower of Christ. So last time, as we talked about making Christianity more attractive or, or making ourselves as Christians more attractive so that people want to follow the Christ, we discussed a little bit about good works We have a responsibility to do good, to let our light shine, not to go out and shine our light. There's a difference. Don't go out and shine your light. You know, there are enough folks out there trying to shine a light. Just go out and live authentic Christianity. And if you will be very altruistic in your your Christian life, then guess what? 
People are going to look at you and they're just going to see automatically the light of Jesus in you. You and I should be so full of Jesus Christ that when people look at us, they're no longer seeing us, but they're seeing Jesus living within us. So good works. But then we also talked about genuine love. You know, John 13, 35 kind of love. Jesus kind of love. And then we concluded our study by talking about gracious speech. Let your speech always be grace seasoned with salt. You know, sometimes folks are not deserving of our graciousness, if you will. You know, do you, do you know how that person treats me? They don't deserve any grace. Well, then it wouldn't be grace, would it? Grace is where you're giving something to somebody that, something good to somebody that they don't deserve. And so gracious speech. Well, let's shift gears and let's begin our study this morning by talking about glad peace. Glad peace. Sometimes as Christians, we have just enough, just enough Christianity to make us miserable but not enough Christianity to make us have peace. And so if we are going to make our Christianity, that is the Christianity living within us, if we're going to make our Christianity more attractive, then what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to make sure that people see us living with genuine, glad peace. As you know, I do a, a lot of counseling, and I've been doing this for a few years now in, in a more professional environment. And so it's not just that I see folks who are members of the church for counseling, but, but I see folks that don't believe in God whatsoever. Uh, we might would refer to them as atheists, sometimes even agnostics. There's a doubting of whether or not God exists. And one of the things that I've discovered over the last several years in people that I see, whether it be uh, Christians, non-Christians, those who are believing but are somewhere, you know, doubting, whether they be young or whether they be old or in between, one of the things I've noticed is a lack of peace. There's just a lack of peace. You know, what we can do sometimes as Christians who, who care about those folks is we can say, you know what? Bible has every answer to life. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. The Bible has every answer to life. No problem with that statement. But here's a problem I do have. Since the Bible has the, every answer to life and someone is struggling with their peace, well, why don't you just pick up your Bible and read your Bible a little more often and then you'll enjoy peace? Sometimes folks just aren't there yet. Sometimes there's something that's going on in their life that we can't fully appreciate and understand. And so for us, and they being a Christian, for us to say, well, just pick up your Bible and read it a little more, then you'll have some peace. Well, that could be insensitive at best, but it could be dangerous at worst. And so what we want to do is we want to try to, try to help people. We want to walk with people so they get to a point where they can appreciate the fact that, yes, God's Word does have all of the answers to life, but sometimes it takes a moment to get them there. Think about Elijah. It took him a bit of time, didn't it? To get there, to be accepting of that message. Well, let's think about this idea of, of Christians having and enjoying and demonstrating peace. Look at the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says 
uh, beginning with verse number 14. We'll back up to verse 12, actually. Philippians 2, beginning with verse 12. Wherefore, and anytime you see that, that word wherefore or therefore, you want to ask, what is it there for? When you look in the previous context, it's talking about being more like Jesus, having the mind of Christ, the mind of a, of a servant. Well, in verse 12 it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have reverential respect for the Lord as you follow him. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of light, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. What's it going to take for us to experience true joy as God's people? It is a complete dedication to the unadulterated message of the Christ and a fellowship of that. Whether it be the initial new birth, salvation, as was talked about there in verses 12 and 13, or following that new birth, it is a steadfastness in the uh, service of the Lord, denying of self and saying, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow the Lord. Per Jesus' words in Matthew 16, both of those things apply. And when we are doing those things, when we've become Christians, when we're living like Christians, then we can experience and know true joy, which brings peace. Now, if you fast forward over to chapter 4, look at verse 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I love the way that Paul puts that. He doesn't just say, well, have a moment of joy. But he says rejoice and then keep on rejoicing. And there's a difference, by the way, of, of someone who is happy and someone who is full of joy. Happiness sort of comes in a moment and is based on something momentary in life. Whereas joy is something that runs through and through the soul and is long-lasting. And Paul says rejoice in whom? Well, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? All the time. Wait a second. You mean i got to rejoice in the Lord when, when, when things just aren't going my way? You mean I've got to rejoice in the Lord when, when maybe my, my health is causing me a, a problem? You mean I've got to rejoice in the Lord when finances are, are not, not there? You mean I've got to rejoice in the Lord when, when relationships are not? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. And then he says, Let your moderation be known unto all men, that the Lord is at hand. And be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer, there's request. And supplication, that is a deep, fervent request. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, shall continue to keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Are you experiencing peace in your life right now? And is that peace something that other people are seeing? What? Man, I can tell in that person that 
they're just enjoying peace. They're in a good spot in their life. I mean, I know some of the things that are going on in their life, and those things that are going on in their life, I don't know that I could handle them the way that they're handling them. But look at the peace that's just radiating from them. That is an incredible marketing tool, if you will, for Christianity, seen in your own life. But then let's add to that the idea of glowing consistency. It's not just peace. We might say glad peace, but it is glowing consistency that that we want people to see within us that will help them to identify us as being something special that they want to be as well. And so glowing consistency. Uh, Back up to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, again, the Apostle Paul here is our spokesperson in this moment. Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse number 17. Now here we see somewhat of an emotional evaluation that Paul is making. And he says, behold, verse 17, behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy uh, boast of God. And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. Now remember, Paul speaking of the Jews here. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another... Teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. In other words, the the Gentiles were looked at those being outside of God, if you will. We would say outside of Christ. The Gentiles were looked at as being outsiders. The Jews were looked at as being insiders. And the Jews were flaming hypocrites. And the Jews were saying, well, you you folks ought ought to be more like us. Wait a second. Why should we be more like you? Oh, you ought to be more like us because we're We're God's people. You know, we've always been in the presence of God, and God has always been in in our presence. You you folks should be more like us. And the Gentiles would look at them and say, well, we know you steal when you say we shouldn't steal. We know know you lie when you say we shouldn't lie. We know you, you are practicing adultery when you say we shouldn't practice adultery. We know you say that you're religious when you're really committing sacrilege. Why should we want to be like you? Think about it from a standpoint of of our interpersonal relationships. And uh, let's take, for instance, maybe you've got a a dating couple. Here's a dating couple, and and, uh, one is a Christian, and the other is not a Christian. And the the Christian says to the non-Christian, I want you to be just like me. I want you to be just like me. I, I want you to... I want you to be baptized. 
You know, I was baptized a long time ago, and, and uh, I, you know, I, I did that because I wanted to have my sins washed away, and I wanted the Lord to add me to his church, and, 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 and I became a Christian, and I want you to be just like me. And the, the non-Christian said, no, wait a second, you want me to be just like you? Well, I go drinking, and you go with me. You know, I, I, I enjoy smoking some marijuana, and, and you smoke right along with me. I go to, to the dances, and guess who my date is? It's you. You, you, go, you go with me. You see, I do all of these things, and you do all of these things right along with me. Why would I want to be just like you? You see, you're already just like me. And what's going to make our Christianity more attractive, distinct, unique? It's going to be our glowing consistency and constancy of faith in God. If you'll look in the Old Testament book of, of Daniel, turn with me back there for just a second. The book of Daniel. Look with me in chapter 6. You'll be familiar with this account. Daniel chapter 6. And look in verse number 1. It pleased Darius to set over the, king, uh, the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they couldn't find occasion or fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, Maybe we could find occasion against Daniel. But could they? Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning what? The law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said, Thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors, the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. Now, O king, establish the king and sign the writing that it might not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius, he signed the writing and the decree. Now watch verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down on his knees three times, three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a petition of uh, that of every man shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save the king, who will be cast in the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And they said before the king, Daniel, which is of the children of captivity of Judah. He regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. When the king heard it, displeased him with himself. He sat on his heart on Daniel to deliver him, 
And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. But these men assembled unto the king and said, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. And the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. I know it's a rather lengthy reading, but doesn't it make the point about consistency and constancy as the people of God? It's not always easy to do the right thing, but the right thing is always the right thing. And the Bible teaches us that if we will do the right thing regardless of the cost, God is going to bless us in the end. He's going to deliver us in the end. Now, he may not deliver us from potentially even death on this earth, but he will certainly deliver us in eternity, won't he, if we're faithful to him. And so how do we make our Christianity attractive? People can see some, some glowing consistency within our lives. Many of you have, are on social media, and, and I've seen several of you share a, a little video of someone that we hold in high esteem here at Westside and, and in the Churches of Christ, and, and not only in the Churches of Christ, but in the state of Tennessee, Brother John D. Berry. And you and I know that he has represented uh, the Democratic Party in the state of Tennessee for a number of years, representing a specific district in Memphis. And you and I know that he has taken a stand for what is right with respect to things such as the killing of the unborn abortion, such as defending uh, against uh, things like same-sex marriage and and items such as these. And his taking a stand for what is right has cost him politically. And he has been pushed out, in essence, of the Democratic Party. You and I know that. What's the point? The point is, here's an individual who has taken a stand, who has done right regardless of the cost. Consistency, constancy in the faith of Christ. Well, let's look at another observation, and that is, We should have glorifying devotion. How do we make ourselves unique? How how do we make ourselves attractive as Christians so that people can look at us and and see there's something different there? And and I honor and I respect the difference that they are, and and I want to be like them. Well, we ought to have some, some glorifying devotion. Glorifying devotion. Look in your Old Testament at the book of of Ruth. Go to the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, I want you to pay attention to, to chapter 1. In Ruth chapter 1, you'll notice, of course, that uh, uh, Naomi's two daughters-in-law, they both lost their husbands in the first part here. And Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go, go back home. Go back to, to, your, own, to your own people. And, and they just couldn't do it. L- look at verse number 9. The Lord grant you that, that you may... F- that you may rest, each of you, in the house of of her husband. Then she kissed them, and and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Uh, Mama-in-law, we we appreciate what you're saying. We know you're saying for us to to, to go home, to go to our people, but we just can't do that. We're going to stay with you. We want to honor our husbands. We want to honor you. We're going to stay with you. And Naomi said, verse 11, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are, are there yet any more sons in my womb that, 
that they may be your husbands. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is, is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her and said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back into her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. This passage of scripture that we've just read together is far more than a beautiful reading at a wedding ceremony. But it is a message that teaches committed devotion to God. Will we be that devoted to God? Will we follow him wherever he leads, if you will? You think about the Christ, Christ being with us, God being with us. Will we follow him wherever he goes? If we will follow God wherever he leads, then we will be with him where he is one day. What makes Christianity so attractive? What, what is it about us that, that can, can, can be so attractive to other people where they'll say, I want to be more like that. I, I want to have what they have. It's, it's things like peace and consistency and devotion. But finally, it's growing faithfulness. Growing faithfulness. And by growing, I mean Christianity is a walk. It's not a sprint. It's, it's a walk. It's something that we continually are progressing in. When you become a Christian, when you're baptized in water for the remission of your sins, and you come out of that watery grave, a, a new creature, as Paul says, a, a Christian, a child of God, and every sin of the past is washed away, it doesn't mean that in that moment you have everything figured out as a Christian. Now, it does mean in that moment that everything of the past is washed away and that you are without blemish before God. But it doesn't mean that you're never going to make a mistake going forward. It doesn't mean that you have everything figured out, but it means that you are going to grow in the Christian process and walk. It means that you're not going to settle for mediocrity. I have a book in my, uh, in my library that's called Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. It wasn't written by a Christian, but it's a book that has tremendous insight into what should be different about you and I as Christians compared to the rest of the world. When Jesus died on the cross and when we honored him by becoming Christians, we made a commitment that we weren't going to be average. When I look out at this audience, whether it be here or virtually, I'm looking at people that should not be average. I'm looking at people that should not be satisfied with being average. If folks are going to give 110% in their lives, it ought to be Christians. We ought to live above the level of mediocrity. Look at Mark chapter 14. 
Let me close with giving you just a couple of illustrations. Mark chapter 14. Look at verse number 3. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for you have the poor with you always. And, and who, when whensoever you will, you man may do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. What shall be spoken of of a memorial for her? The fact that she, she put this, this ointment on him, this expensive ointment on him, is that the point? No. The point is that she is memorialized for this moment because in this moment she gave her very best. I want to draw your attention back to the comment we made at the beginning of our lesson. When we stand before the judgment bar of Christ, and we will, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, and there we see Jesus, King Jesus, Judge Jesus. And we make eye contact with the Lord. He's, he's, you imagine that. He's looking at us, sizing us up, sizing up our life and he says Neil thank you for not being average thank you for living above the level of mediocrity thank you for giving your very best thank you for being a good and faithful servant You've been faithful over a few things. Now, I'm going to make you a ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You see, when you and I think about making Christianity attractive for the world, it's not that Christianity needs any help. There's nothing better than Christianity. But sometimes you and I, because of our lives, maybe the way that we're conducting them, You and I make Christianity unattractive because our representation of Christianity is like, why would I want to do that? Because that's so much like what I already am. Why would I want to be like you? Maybe we need to recommit. Maybe we need to make some changes in our life. Maybe, maybe we need to redevote ourselves to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ so that when people see us, They no longer see us. But when people see us, they see the Jesus, the Christ, living within us. Would that describe you and what you need this morning? If so, make that known. If you're not a Christian and you know you need to become one through penitent faith and baptism, 
let us help you with that this morning as well. Whatever we may be able to do to assist you, let us know as together we stand and as we sing.